I hope you guys were able to make that last Sunday night. Um, man, it was a really awesome, awesome time just to get to see uh, the fruit of everything that took place at Falls Creek and also just the fruit of what had been taking place in those kids' lives leading up to Falls Creek. Um, one of the really things that excites me the most is for our students is that they get to sit underneath the leadership of Andrew Wade and Aaron Cole and their teams. Um, they pour into our students unbelievably. It just, it touches my heart to see people have such a love for ministry and for pouring in the love of Jesus into our kids. Um, and I'm really touched as I watch that video, just knowing like with Andrew and he hadn't slept in two weeks, right? back-to-back camps, and that Sunday night, even though he was dead tired, that dude was fired up. And it's just such a wonderful, wonderful time. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I sure hope that you do, would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? We're going to continue this morning in the Love Is series, and we are going to uh, read the entire chapter this morning, so if you would stand for me this morning as we honor the reading of God's Word. And I am, when I get done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will answer back, praise be to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We're looking this morning at the famous love chapter. And as I think, I don't know, it was Chad or if it was Keith, but we know that. This is one of those famous chapters that's read a lot, particularly at weddings, because it is the love chapter. And so as we're breaking down this summer with the, with the love is theme, uh, we've, last week Keith talked about the first half of verse 4, and that which is love is patient and kind. And he had four takeaways for us. One is that we have to pray. Number two was we have to be accountable Number three was that we needed to memorize the word of God. And the fourth one was that we needed to hang out with lost people. We have to get outside of our deal. 
And if you think about it, all four of these takeaways are incredible descriptors of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We see that the Lord Jesus went and he prayed. He would separate himself from the crowds, from his disciples, and he would go up into the mountaintop and pray. We see that he was... He kept himself accountable with the men that he was with and with the time he spent with, the, with his father in prayer. We see that he was a memorizer of scripture because he quotes scripture in the wilderness, right? When he, was count, when, he was, when he was rebuttaling Satan, he was quoting scripture back to Satan. And then we see that he hung out with lost people. Like he hung out with lost people a whole lot. It wasn't just an occasional thing that he did, but he was around them a lot. Now, he was with his 12 as well, so he's modeling for them what it looks like when he would go back to heaven. But this morning, we're going to look at the last half of verse 4. So we have the positive things. Love is patient. Love is kind. But we're going to look at this morning what love is not. Love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant. Well, here we go, right? This is the fun part. The others are really positive, and these are, well, the things that we shouldn't be. And what happens has happened today is that we are allowing the culture to define words for us. And as culture has defined words for us, words that we used to be able to say freely, we can't say in the same context anymore. I have, um, I'm joining that crowd where I'm a little bit older now. I'm not saying that I'm old. Mind you that. Listen, I'm not saying I'm old. What's going to happen? If I say I'm old, some of you that are old to me, you're going to come and go, you don't know. You're still a pup. I know I'm still a pup. But I am getting older. And what I am learning is I have to check myself because words that I used to say don't quite have the same meaning today as they did 20 years ago. And so for helping in that, I thought, well, where else do you go but the Webster Dictionary, right? They still make those. Um, they also are available online. And I pulled that up and I said, let's look at what these words actually mean so that there's no miscommunication or understanding about what these words mean. So let's look at envy this morning. Envy is, is the definition Webster says is painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another joined with a desire to possess the same advantage. That's tough. I'm going to let that sink in just for a minute. painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another with a desire to possess the same advantage. I like old dead dudes when it comes to my commentaries. And I pulled out H.A. Ironside this week as I was studying for this. And he says, love is not envious, love is not jealous. Did it ever occur to you that jealousy implies selfishness? Isn't that interesting? So when we talk about envy, we could also insert the word jealousy. We could insert the word selfish. I don't like the fact that they have that. I want that too. How do I get my hands on that too? Why, are, why do they get that? 
I'm just as good as they are. And so in today's world, in particular, I see this in today's world, there's a lot of envy, there's a lot of jealousy going on. Why is it that this person has this house and this car and has this bank account and I graduated and I have the same degree and I don't have those things? We'll, we'll, we'll not mention the fact that they've worked for 15 years and they haven't, but you know. Or why don't I have the same car? Why don't I have the same opportunities as someone else has? It's hard, isn't it? And as I was thinking about this, if you're envious, you cannot be content. Right? Well, why does contentment matter? Well, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this book, the broke Corinthians, this letter to the Corinthian church, also wrote a letter to this guy named Timothy. And in the first letter to Timothy, Paul said to, Paul said to Timothy, now there is great gain in godliness and contentment. And so you know what? Sometimes we need to be content with what God has given us. And then we can know, we can begin to know what love is. Because if we are envious, then we don't have love. That's a hard statement to say, isn't it? If we're not content, we don't have love, which means we can't show love, not true love. Our second word that we need to look at this morning is the word boast. A statement expressing excessive pride in oneself, the act of an instance of boasting. Love builds up, it is not puffed up. Love builds up, it does not tear down. And when we boast, we're tearing somebody down. More than likely, unintentionally, but sometimes intentionally. So how important is it that love is not a boasting love? The next definition for boasters, two that I, I saw that were really good, is to possess and often call attention to something that is a source of pride. I'm going to tread really lightly here. We live in Oklahoma. We don't care about professional sports. But we do care about high school sports, particularly about football high school sports. And that could be a source of pride, right? But more than that, there's college football. And there's a lot of pride in college football. Don't look now, but there's a guy that's wearing one of those shirts over there. And I'm pretty certain I got some guys on staff with me that also have some of that stuff too. And there's nothing wrong with that. Until we're using it as a boasting point. Until that's what we're finding our pride in. And we're finding our identity in. And that's where it comes down to a problem. And so... With that, though, I will also say, we can poke fun at the college thing all day long, but we can draw it home with us a little bit closer, can't we? We could talk about church pride. I go to such and such church. 
and boast of it in such a way and find such pride. My pastor's written this book and that book. What has your pastor written? Or, don't kill me, don't throw stones, or denominational pride. I'm a Baptist. I'm this denomination, I am of this denomination. We read where Paul says this is not good. What we do read, if we know not what we should boast in, there is something that we should boast in. And in in Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, in the sixth chapter, we find these words. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or, I'll read it in the way I memorized it when I was a little kid. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to boast, there is one thing that you can boast about this morning. And that is in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how much you boast in that. It doesn't matter how much of a deal you make about it. Because that is the only thing that matters. Is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get to boast in that this morning. All the other things will disappoint us. Will disappoint us. I mean, if we talk about the wonderful thing called the Statue of Liberty, I can think of some friends of mine who don't like the Statue of Liberty because there was a play that once happened against their football team that cost them a win, and it was called the Statue of Liberty play. And there was this bowl game, and there's this crimson and cream team that played, and this other team ran the Statue of Liberty, and they lost. Well, my friend's like, oh, not the Statue of Liberty. They were disappointed in what took place, weren't they? But the cross of Christ will never, ever disappoint. We can always boast in that. The third thing we get to look at this morning is the word arrogant. Showing an offensive attitude of superiority. I don't know that we need to break that down a whole lot. I think we all understand what arrogance looks like. I think that we all understand an attitude of superiority of saying, I am better than you. But I will say that it's a huge problem in our world today. It's a huge problem within the church today. This idea of arrogance. And it's not okay. Last time I checked, when we were all born, we were all born as sinners. We had nothing when we were born into this world. We may have been born into something, right? We were all may have been born into a, uh, we were all born into a family of some kind. And with that, we had some rights and some privileges and we gained some things. But to look down at somebody because of a skin color or where they live or whatever else you want to talk to, that makes no sense. Because we're all the same. We're all the same in the eyes of God. So now we have all the hard lifting out of the way. Um, I've entitled this message this morning, Love is Selfless. Because I want us to understand the fact that everything that's talked about this morning can be said about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the most important thing. So the first point this morning, if you got your app out on your phone, um, 
fill in the blank, all of that, or if you're taking it the old-fashioned way like I do sometimes, or you're just writing in your phone. My first point, one of two this morning, is love demonstrated. You know how important it is for love to be demonstrated to us so we can understand what it should look like? I mean, we can read these words all day long, but sometimes I'm one of these guys. I need to see a tangible thing so I can understand what it needs to look like. Just so I can say, oh, okay, I got it now. Um, Reading a book is really great and helpful, but sometimes I need the actual tangibleness of it all. And so seeing the selfless love demonstrated, I want you to, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And I apologize, we're reading a lot of scripture this morning, so. But in Ephesians chapter 5, I feel like that we have one of the best earthly examples of the demonstration of love for us. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This passage gets a lot of bad press because of the word submit. And this morning I'm not reading this passage to dwell or to look at the word submit as much as I am reading this passage to talk to you when it says in verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is love demonstrated. And it's not just that the Lord Jesus Christ loves the church, it's this earthly demonstration that should be happening between every single married couple. Now wait a minute, Jonathan. I can start talking to you about bad marriages. Yep, I know you can. And we also live in a sin-fallen world. But I want you to see, though, as you read these verses, as you read about what Christ has done for the church, is exactly what husbands should do for wives. Love. And it's a love that starts, that can be easily defined out of 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient, love is kind. Husbands, are you patient and kind with your wives? Love is not, does not envy, it is not boastful, and is not arrogant. Husbands, are you envious of your wife? Are you boastful about other things? Are you arrogant towards your wife? If you are, we have a problem. Because that's not what love is. 
At no point did Jesus ever demonstrate that, those negative attributes of love, what love is not. At never at one point did Jesus ever demonstrate that towards us. And so as we look at these verses in 1 Corinthians 13, even with next week, as we continue to talk about what the descriptors are of what love should look like, think about it. Think about your marriage. And if you're not married yet, because I know we have some that aren't married yet, I want you to think about the example of how Christ loves us in the church. The tremendous amount of patience that he shows to us. So everyone that's in this room that is born again this morning, that's sitting here as a part of the church, every one of you who are born again as part of the church, Think about for a second in yourself, in your own lives, how patient is God and the Lord Jesus with you? Do you ever make boneheaded mistakes? Do you ever make this, commit the same sin over and over again and you find out that you keep turning back and going back to God, asking for forgiveness for the exact same sin? And yet his love towards you never changes. His love is continually patient. And we want to talk about the kindness of the Lord. Oh my heavens. We're all breathing this morning. We all had clothes to put on. We had a way here. Even if we walked, we had a way here. And never once have we seen the Lord Jesus be jealous of us. Or jealous of something else. Or boast in something that was wrong. Or be arrogant towards us. He's never acted arrogantly towards us. And so as you look at your own marriages and as you think about the marriage you would like to have one day, I want you to think about, so when we were given marriage, we were to be a demonstration of the love of God in our marriages. So that men and women could look at our marriages and go, this is what the, the love of God looks like. And if that's not what's happening, man, may I challenge you? to reread 1 Corinthians 13, especially verses like four through eight, and look at what the attributes of love look like and what love should look like, and then find a way to put that into your marriage. The ultimate example, the ultimate example is Jesus, and he is the embodiment of selfless love. Isn't that just so wonderful to think about that the one who died and saved me from my sins is the embodiment of selfless love. He never did anything selfishly. We all do things selfishly. Selfishly. It gets really tongue-tied when you have selfless and selfishly in the same sermon. Let me tell you what. He never did anything selfishly. Everything that he ever did as he walked this earth was selflessly. And yet we are always finding ways that we ask people, we say we'll do something for someone, we expect something back in return, whether we tell them that or not. But with the Lord Jesus, we have total selflessness. My final point this morning My final point is Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, and his love culminated. This is the peak of the following, 
is a showing of God's love and of Jesus' love for us. Ephesians 5.1 Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Can you picture that? Gave himself up as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice. How is your sacrificial love? How do you give yourself up for those that you love to show the true love of God? Not man's love. Man's love is, 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 is wrong. It's dirty. I'm talking about the sacrificial love of God. Loving someone because they're, they're a person. Not because of what you can get out of them or because they're beautiful or, or because they're ugly, or, but because they're just a person, you love them. 